good morning. Good morning. Well, your eyes do not deceive you. I am not the normal dashing and talented pastor we have. You have the B League today, but uh, I am glad to be here with you nonetheless. And so I hope the morning is off to a great start for you. Uh, Mine is. uh, I got a nice note from my wife in my Bible this morning. She's not here because she doesn't want to listen to me, but she wrote me a note. Um, So that's good. So that was uh, a nice thing to get started. But uh, we are, if you've uh, been with us last couple weeks, or maybe it's your first time here, or maybe you're kind of in and out over the summer, we're continuing our uh, series on the Book of Ruth. So we are in week three. Uh, Pastor Brandon uh, did chapter one and chapter two over the last couple weeks, and we are going to tackle chapters three and four together today uh, while we're doing it. And we've been spending some time looking for Jesus in the Old Testament. And we're kind of doing these series within a series, if that makes any sense. So little mini-series on Ruth. We're going to keep going. But I think it's often thought that um, we have to tolerate the Old Testament, you know, to read through it to get to the New Testament. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah, it's there. But it's really, it's the New Testament. That's where it's at. Well, there's lots of good stuff in the Old Testament. And kind of as we get a chance to go through it together as a church, I think we're going to see that over and over, kind of throughout the Old Testament, it's continually pointing to Jesus. And that's what we're kind of looking for is where is that in the Old Testament uh, that we're going to see. And so we're going to finish up with Ruth today. And the next week, we're going to jump to the book of Jeremiah and uh, look at uh, looking for Jesus in the book of Jeremiah. If we've never had a chance to meet, uh, my name is Chris Blake. Uh, If we've never had a chance to chat before church or after church. Uh, And my family and I call Life Community Church our home. Uh, even though none of them are here, but I promise they're around. Um, so my wife is a uh, nurse at Twin Cities Hospital, so she's working today. Um, my daughter uh, is not here, and I'll tell you more about the second. My son was here, but there's junior high group next door, which shows you who he'd rather listen to uh, for the next 30 minutes. So song ended, and he left, and I was like, but I'm speaking. And he's like, yep, and off he went. So he's in junior high, so smart guy. And then my daughter uh, dropped her off at 6.45 this morning. She's 15. And uh, she showed a pig at the fair. So um, we've just been covered in dust and uh, shavings and pig jeans for the whole week as she's coming out. So she finishes up today, um, but they're all there. Um, I get the opportunity to serve in children's ministry here at the church. I get to teach once a month back there, which is a ton of fun. I lead music, not very musically talented, but I yell loud. And so I do that every once in a while back there, which is a ton of fun. And then like Mike, I get to serve as an elder here at the church. Um, which I enjoy as well. So, um, and the last note on that, kind of introductory-wise, which I kind of set us up for day, I got the opportunity years ago, I got to spend a decade in youth ministry. I got to serve on the Young Life staff, if any of you are familiar with the ministry of Young Life, and spent over 10 years on that, and worked with high school, middle school kids that maybe wouldn't show up in anybody's church. Uh, but what I learned in that is to speak fast, and to make one point, and to keep the message short. And then I got to speak to adults, and I realized to speak fast, make one point, and keep the message short. So attention span is equal uh, from adults to middle schoolers. We just hide it better as adults and zone out. So we're going to keep it short today and uh, probably a little faster than good old Pastor Brandon. So um, that's for you, Brandon. There you go. Uh, but get your Bibles out, uh, get your app open, whatever you're going to do today, because we're going to take a look to Ruth chapter 3. So get this open. But before we open God's Word together, let's pray if you join me. God, we are grateful to be together. Uh, It is a privilege to get together and to sing and to open your word. And I love that your church sings. There's something about singing that impacts our heart differently. It opens our heart differently. And then we're going to open your word. And I'm tempted just to 
read Ruth chapter 3 and 4 and just sit down because your word speaks a whole lot louder than any words that any one person can, can bring up. So God, we just pray that you would speak to us as we do read through uh, your word this morning. Uh, I pray that for each one of us as we arrive today, we've arrived from a different week, from a different life, night last night and a different morning. And I uh, just pray that we would get what we came for, that you'd meet us and that we'd walk out this morning more convinced than ever of how you love us than when we walked in. So Lord, be present as we open your word. Amen. So about a month ago, when Pastor Brandon asked, he was like, hey, I'm going to be out of town. Uh, we were still doing our marriage series that we were going through there for a bit together. And he was like, you know, but we're going to do the book of Ruth after that. We're going to do this series of Jesus in the Old Testament. And the way I see it is you're going to be Ruth chapter three, you know, if we just count the Sundays. And I was like, okay, great. You know, Ruth chapter three. All right. It's been a bit, you know, I know you all probably haven't memorized, but I had not had it memorized. Overall themes of the book of Ruth, right? But I was like, so I opened up Ruth chapter three, gave it a read. And, uh, and I was like, all right, cool. There's threshing floors and uncovered feet. There's garment corners, kinsmen, redeemers. I'm like, this is great. Thank you, Pastor Brandon, for the wonderful passage of scripture to preach on that just ends on a cliffhanger. Like, great. This is going to be fantastic. People are going to love this. And so I, I called him and I was like, can you give me chapter four too? Like, I need something to wrap this up. And he's like, all right, fine. You can do three and four. So like, great. So I got permission. So we're going to do three and four today because the book of Ruth is kind of a, it's a funny little book. It's short, right? So that's great. So it makes you feel really accomplished when you're like, hey, I read a whole book of the Bible. It's like, that's awesome. I know it's four chapters, but I crushed it. So do that. If you're ever just kind of feeling bad about your, you know, your reading or whatever, just knock out the book of Ruth in a night. And then you're like, I feel like a legend. So do that. Um, read that. And it's, but it's just also this, and, and Pastor Brandon's been touched on it the last couple of weeks, which is, it's, a, it's an interesting book in the fact that uh, like nothing really miraculous happens. God doesn't really d- deliver a direct message and speak through somebody he doesn't intervene. There's no angels. There's no miracles, no water parts. It, from the outside, I mean, I always kind of envision as I look at this, you're kind of watching through like a movie camera lens. It's just people kind of doing everyday life, trying to make it through what they have that day in front of them. And so it's this really unique account, not really 100% convinced who wrote the book of Ruth, best attributed to Samuel. It's kind of church tradition more than anything else on where the book of Ruth comes from. And um, so really unique in that way, but it's really short, you know, kind of just this, this interesting story of normalcy and ordinary. And so coming into chapters three and four in particular, I was trying to kind of like, okay, so, you know, we got threshing floors and uncovered feet. What are we going to talk about? And so started reading over it, reading over it again, and trying to think of what God might have in there. And it's unique when you start to read through some scripture, because obviously it speaks to all of us differently. You, know, you guys could read through chapters three and four and come up with something completely different that God could give you. So, um, but this is what he gave me. So we're going to go through it together <laughs> here this morning while I'm with you. But started to really notice a rhythm uh, to kind of the, the actions of Ruth. Notice a rhythm to the actions of Boaz as we go through them. And one phrase just kind of kept popping into my head over and over. is just a two-word phrase uh, as I did this. And, and that's what we're going to land on here this morning. The phrase was beautiful obedience beautiful obedience. So that's what we're going to camp on a little bit this morning, and we're going to take some time looking at, and we're going to start in in chapter three, and um, 
you know, miraculously enough, uh, we're going to pick up right at the end of chapter two, which is how that works. You go from two to three. But when you pick it up, uh, it's right kind of, I would argue, at one of the most uh, uneventful times in what we've gone through so far in the book of Ruth. Um, but the, the last little closing statement in chapter two is, you know, so Ruth stayed close to the servant girls. She went and, you know, every day at this point she was gleaning. So she was just following in the fields. It was the wheat and barley harvest. So, so she was doing that, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Barely uneventful. Ruth got up every day. She went to work, <laughs> followed in the fields, did what she could do, came home at the end of the day. She was with her mother-in-law. She was in the rat race. She, she was doing her thing. It was just everyday normal life. And before we jump into three, you know, as we kind of set this up, I don't know about you, but um, I don't know if it's because I just need to pause and, and I really can't take it all in, but... Anytime I dive in, you know, either the life of Jesus and an encounter there or something in the Bible, I'm going to invite you to this day. I just like to stop and I like to close my eyes. And I like to close my eyes because I like to try to put together and give myself a picture of what this looks like. Now, what does Ruth look like? Is she tall? Is she short? What's Naomi look like? Where do they live? What's their house look like? What does it smell like? Is it out in the country? Is it in a more dense kind of cityscape back then? How far did she have to walk every day to go glean? What did that road look like? What did she bring back? And try to picture, try to bring it to life to get yourself there to see what we're going to run into. And it's kind of normal everyday scene. And so as they're doing this, and it says they're going through normal everyday life, which is fantastic. But one day Naomi's like, all right, this is great, but this, this is enough. Like Ruth... Probably best guess, Ruth is between 20 and 25 years old at this point, so she's young. She's like, Ruth, we need to have a talk. It's a big world out there. You're with me. This is great. I appreciate your faithfulness, but you have your own life in front of you. We have to kind of set you up for what's next. You know, Maybe that's being married. Maybe that's not, but we're, we're going to kind of make a change here, and I got a plan. So Naomi comes to, to Ruth with this plan, and she says, I... Uh, you know, the, the gentleman, the fields you've been working in, you know, Boaz, you know, he is our kinsman redeemer. And that phrase, I know we've covered it, but it's not one we throw out every day. Maybe you do, and that we have to have an interesting talk. But, um, you know, kinsman redeemer. So back then, kind of the tradition was, was that, you know, if something happened to a family member, you know, there were other family members obligated to taking on either the wife in that family and kind of continuing the family name. So Boaz was, the, was to what they knew, the, the kinsman redeemer. He was the next in line. And so she's like, so here's the deal. Boaz is a good guy. You've been around him. You've been in his fields. So we're basically tonight, you're going to go propose to Boaz. This is going to be great. You know, and I'm sure if I'm Ruth, I'm like, yes, yeah, sounds awesome. Um, so she's like, here, we're going we're gonna to kind of do you up. We're going to get your perfume on. Boaz is going to be winnowing on the, uh, the threshing floor tonight. So they're working late. We're going to eat. We're gonna, he's going to drink and then he's going to go to sleep. And so we're going to sneak you in. You're going to lay at his feet. And you're going to uncover his feet, and then he's going to tell you what to do from there, right? So at this point, you're probably going like, huh, all right, Bible does have some interesting moments. Is this getting a little racy? No, it's not. Stick with me, okay? We're, we're going to get there. But huge risk on Ruth's part to do this. She wasn't from there. She's a young woman. She was not supposed to be on the threshing floor. And if she was found there, bad things. Bad things for her, bad things for Boaz. So it was a very big risk for her to trust Naomi that this was a good plan. So she goes. 
does exactly what she says. And I love the line that Ruth says as they finish up, and it's uh, in verse 5. She says, I'll do whatever you say. I will do whatever you say. There's a straight sentence. So she gets up, she goes, she lays up Boaz's feet, and sure enough, just as it was said, she uncovers his feet, and kind of the thought on that, you're like, why the feet? I asked the same question. I, you know, the best assumption is that would have woke him up, just kind of disturbed him, done something a little different. And so her laying at Boaz's feet was this kind of, this mark of uh, submission, this mark of honor that she was going to lay there. And so when Boaz wakes up in the middle of the night, his first thing is like, whoa, he's startled, like, who are you? She's like, it's me, it's Ruth, it's your servant. And if you go down uh, to verse 9, you know, he says, like, who are you? And she says, you know, will you spread uh, the corner of your garment over me since you are a kinsman redeemer? And in essence, will you take me in? Will you cover me? Will you take me on? You're a kinsman redeemer. Will you, will you kind of protect me? Basically, will you marry me? Boaz goes on, and it's great. He, you know, he says, oh, the Lord bless you. And they have this great conversation as they go back and forth. But he's like, here's the deal. I am actually not next in line. There's actually somebody else that's closer to your family that's a kinsman redeemer. So I have to go talk to them and sort that out before we could have our conversation. And so they go back and forth. He goes, here's the deal. Stay here, lay here, stay at my feet, and we're going to sneak you out in the morning. And I don't know how they did that, but because you can't be seen. And I just love this little sidelight, but he's like, you know, but you can't go home empty-handed. He, he also knows that Ruth is living with Naomi. So it says he packs her up some wheat, takes her shawl, and sends her home, and he says, you can't go home empty. And I love that not only does Boaz kind of engage this very large conversation of redeeming her family and, you know, marrying her, but he also just says, I know you need to eat, so let me take you, and let me send you home with a very concrete thing. So she goes home. Boaz says, hey, I got this. Just give me some time. He leaves. You know, she gets home, and Naomi's like, well, how'd it go? You came back, so that's good that nothing bad happened. Ruth gives Naomi the rundown, and then Naomi ends chapter 3, and she says, well, wait, my daughter, and we'll find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled. And so we kind of have two parts. I mean, chapter 3 is kind of made up of Ruth kind of really being obedient. She starts off in Ruth chapter 3 with Naomi saying, hey, I got a plan, the plan is, is you're going to go and do all this. And she just says, I'll, I'll do whatever you say. So she has to be really obedient in that moment with Naomi. And then she goes to Boaz and Boaz talks her through it and says, okay, hey, I'm glad you're here, but I got some things I got to take care of. There's this other guy, you know, hold tight. So then Naomi, or then Ruth has to go, okay, I'll be obedient again. Step two, she comes back to Naomi, gives Naomi the rundown of everything that happened. And then Naomi says, that's great. You did what I said, you did what Boaz says, and now you need to wait some more. So she's patient again, and she's obedient again. And so chapter 3 is full of Ruth just being obedient on the next step, listening and being obedient on the next step. And we end chapter 3 with Ruth kind of waiting, with her pausing, with her trusting, and with her hoping on what might come next. And on that pause, it gave me pause as I was thinking about our time together. And as she is waiting and hoping and trusting, I thought, well, each one of us walks in this morning and we arrive here from a different week, a different month, a different year, different many years. So what is it right now in our lives, in your life and mine, that we're waiting on? 
that we're trusting in and that we're hoping God might be at work on even if we can't see it? Is there something right now health-wise, be it for yourself or be it for somebody really near to you, that you're hoping, that you're trusting, something you've been praying about? Is there something going on with your family, um, with somebody in our family, made in our immediate family, you know, and that, or maybe in the larger family? Is there a relationship with a family member or something going on with a family member that we are hoping and that we are trusting might change? Something with a friend, maybe a relationship, be it somebody that, you know, is an, is an everyday friend that maybe things aren't where you want that to be relationally right now, or maybe it's somebody you work with. Maybe it's something on the job front right now that's hard, that you're waiting and that you're trusting. Maybe it's something with kids. Kids and kids. Kids are all ages. Maybe something your kids are a little further in life's journey and you've been praying and you've been hoping that God is going to do something. Maybe it's finances. Maybe it's the way you're looking at life right now. There's different seasons of life. We're better at looking at life, for lack of a, a more articulate thing. You know, is there something right now that's heavy on your heart? Are you kind of approaching every day? Maybe there's some depression in your world right now that you're dealing with and you're wrestling with. Maybe it's our view of God. We know that God says he's in control of things and he sits on the throne, but oftentimes I think there's times where we're not really clear on who he is. And so maybe we're praying that God will increase our view of who he is and that we're trusting and hoping he'll do just that. And those are all good, but it's really hard when we're unclear on what's next. And, and I get that. You look at Ruth, and she was going step by step, always unclear of what's next, but kind of being obedient in the steps. And I was looking back on my own family's journey, and you, know, you could do the same. I'm sure you could look back on your own time and your life in different places. And it's really hard sometimes to trust and to hope when it seems like there's not a lot to trust and hope in. The one that came up most vividly for me is when we were on year whatever, two, three, and we were still waiting and we were still trusting because our son was sick over and over and over and over and he couldn't get healthy and he would get sick again and he couldn't get healthy. And when we were on hospital visit nine out of so many months in one year. And it wasn't that anybody wasn't trying. Everybody was trying to figure it out, but they couldn't figure it out. But when we're waiting month after month, year after year, trying to figure out what's going on with our son, it wasn't easy when things were unclear to hope and to trust. And then when the puzzle pieces started to fall together and we found out that we thought we were battling one thing, and in fact, he was immune deficient and his body didn't make enough to keep him healthy, that all of a sudden we got to attack the right thing. And it was really rare in a kid his age and continues to be. And this was probably about when Brody's eight. He's 12 now. Um, we had to really wait on the Lord during that time. And we're still not 100% out of it. But what is it right now that you and I are having to trust like Ruth? And whatever that thing is, whatever may be popped into your head over the last little bit as we've been talking about these different areas of our life, friends, relationships, family, I'd encourage us all to, to do as Ruth, take a little note from her and be beautifully obedient in whatever that thing is. To listen first, act on whatever that next piece of information is that we get given, and then be patient again. 
as we wait on whatever would be next for us. So then the camera angle swings, right? We've been focused on Ruth. Ruth went, she did her thing, she's back, and we end chapter three, and she is waiting. Naomi told her to wait. So now the camera swings to Boaz, right? I was kind of picture it like a movie. Sorry, it's just the way my brain works. You're going over to Boaz, and Boaz gets up the next day, right? He got proposed to. That doesn't happen every night. You wake up, Right in the middle of the night, woman proposes to you, and you got to finish the night. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it does happen to all y'all. I don't know. But um, he gets up the next day, and he's got to kind of put this plan together because he knows there's another kinsman redeemer that kind of lies between him and Ruth. And, you know, kind of best understanding is that, you know, Boaz had a little affinity for Ruth at this point because, you know, you see kind of throughout the earlier chapters, he kind of gave her kind of some special privileges and this and that. So he's kind of trying to figure this out. So he goes up to the town gate. And he uh, sits there and he knows because he knows the other kinsman redeemer. I wish I had a name because the name kinsman redeemer is a lot to say every time. But the other guy who is in between him and Ruth, I, I think he knows he's going to come by. You know, it reminds me of like in junior high when I was trying to be around a girl and I just happened to be outside her classroom when, you know, the class ended, right? It's the same type of thing. I think Boaz just happens to be there when this gentleman walks by and he also happens to just have assembled if you look in, the, the, the 10 elders of the town that need to be kind of witness when certain things happen. So we immediately realize that Boaz is a gamer. Like he's put this together. He's three steps ahead. He's like, oh, I happen to be here. Hey, man. And he says, he said, you know, in chapter four, he says, hey, come on, take a seat. You know, let's catch up. And then, oh, by the way, the 10 elders are here too. Say, what's up, fellas? You know, hey, guys, you know, all right, hey, we're all here. By the way, fellow kinsman redeemer, um, did you know that Naomi's back and her property's going to come up for sale that our brother Elimelech had? And, you know, I just want to let you know because you're the next one in line. And if you're not going to take it, I'm next. So just wanted to throw that out. So do you want to redeem it? And, you know, he's like, you know, probably feeling the obligation that he's the next line. He's like, I'll redeem it. And then Boaz is like, oh, hold on. <laughs> Forgot to mention one part. It also comes with Ruth. Ruth, you know, the, the woman from Moab, that's Naomi's daughter-in-law. Yeah, it comes with her too. And there's probably this obligation to like continue the family name. So she might need to have a son. And the other gentleman's like, oh my goodness. Like this just got a lot more. I just wanted a hunk of land. Like now I got to, it comes with all this too. And he's like, no, 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 no. I'm out. Like I'm going to pass. And I love this part. We'll get back there. I promise. But there's these little snapshots as we look through the Old Testament. I know that's what we're talking about is Jesus in the Old Testament. And this is just this little snapshot that I think just kind of caught that the Boaz, you know, sits there and he says, yes, here is, you know, what you might think redemption is, is the land. And then Boaz says, no, 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 no. Redemption is so much more. And when, I, when I'm calling you to redeem this, you not only have to redeem the land, but you have to take on Ruth. You have to redeem her and you have to redeem the family name. You have to redeem everything. And I think of Jesus. And at no point when he calls us to follow him has that ever been, I just want to redeem a portion of your life. He says, no, I want the whole thing. And I've been following Jesus for 20-some years, and I think the longer I follow him, all I get to understand is that there's more and more of me I need to give to him, even after all this time, that he wants it all, that he wants to redeem it all. So the other guy is like, I'm out. No way. This is all you. You get it. So Boaz's plan, 
perfect. The man executed to a T. Then he says, all right, well, this is the deal. I will redeem it then. I will, I will sacrificially take on the thing you pass on, even though he'd been working on it the whole time. And then it says that, you know, back then they have to take off their sandal. So he takes off his sandal. They exchange sandals, which I guess that's awesome. I don't know if they were the same size. And I'm going to try it the next time that if we ever buy a piece of property in our house, I'm at closing. I'm just going to take off a sandal and hand it to the person. Uh, it'll be awkward. And then we'll leave. Um, but I'm fired up about that. So they exchange sandals. And really, the rest is history. That the, and this is kind of the, the part of Ruth we all know. Then, then Boaz marries Ruth. They kind of go on. They have a son. You know, and everything is kind of moving the right way. Naomi celebrates. We're getting towards the end of chapter 4. She celebrates. She has a grandson. There's some women there celebrating with her. They're exuberant that she has a son. And not only are they celebrating Ruth, you know, but they're saying Ruth is not only better than one son. They're like, celebrate. she's better than seven sons. And so they must all have terrible sons or Ruth is just that great. But they call her better than seven sons and everything is moving the right direction. And they have a son and they name him Obed. And... As it continues there, you can stick with it and you'll see Obed not only is a grandson that they're all excited about, but he also turns out to be the grandpa of King David, which makes Ruth the great-grandma of King David. Not bad for some people who are just doing everyday life. Little did they know what was in front of their family for some people who were just doing ordinary things on an ordinary day, trying to make the best of what they'd been given. And I got to imagine that if you were Naomi or you're Ruth or Boaz, I mean, even in, in what they had in their life, you never would have been able to kind of put together the sequence of events that happened. And I don't know how about you look back on your own life, but I never could have put together the sequence of events that, that have led me where I am today. Like, couldn't have called it. And I don't think they could have done the same thing because, again, they just seemed like they were just doing what they could do. They were just trying to make things happen. And now we get to look back in hindsight, and we realize that their life was anything but ordinary. And that's what I love about following Jesus. And I don't know how long you follow Jesus. I don't know if you're following Jesus. But I'll just say this. God often brings the extraordinary from the ordinary. And he often brings the divine from the mundane. And I know a lot of us in this room can speak to that. And we can second that. And as you look at the life of Jesus the Gospels, he often walks into an ordinary situation like a guy just going to work that day, collecting taxes, and this encounter with him is nothing but ordinary. It's absolutely extraordinary because it changes the trajectory of Matthew forever, and it changes the trajectory of the church forever on an account. Or there's a hurting and painful situation where people are hurt and crying all through the Gospels over and over. There's a guy named Lazarus who's a dear friend of Jesus and he dies and Jesus shows up and all of a sudden from something that seemed very just normal life that somebody passed, something extraordinary took place. And where Jesus shows up over and over in the Gospels, you see it, where he shows up, things change. Which is great. And it's great to talk about Ruth. But it's always easy in hindsight. Right? We get to look back on the life of Ruth. And you're like, obviously, look, God's at work. This is so good. And we look at you know, the, the Gospels, and you're like, oh, my gosh, look, Jesus is working it all. Yes, clearly, it's so easy to have faith, but it's not. It's not easy to have faith when we are in the thick of it. 
right? When we are the ones, when we're looking around, and all of a sudden, you know, it's not easy when we're chapter one Naomi. Like, we're looking at chapter four Naomi today. But like, remember we started at chapter one Naomi, her husband passed, and her two sons died. That is not as easy to all of a sudden trust that what God is doing when the things around us seem to be falling apart, when the people we care about are hurting, and when we're hurting. It's not as easy as it sounds. But I think this was the call and this is the challenge, and I don't know, I don't know what word to best put there, but this is when that beautiful obedience, I think, sets in. I'm not saying it's easy. Don't get me wrong. I'm not cliching you right now this morning. I'm not. This is, this is the hard stuff. It's the moments that are they're heavy. Chapter one, Naomi moments. When we have to pause and we have to remember who's on the throne. We have to remember who's in control of it all. And as much as we talked about Naomi being obedient and patient, she also took, or Ruth, we, you know, we also took, she also took great risk. Every step of her way, she followed her mother-in-law back to a country she wasn't from. She went onto a threshing floor she wasn't going to be allowed to. She walked into some fields to try to glean and had no idea how that was going to, the outcome was going to be. So there was this risk, this God-centered risk. And Boaz did the same. He took some risks in this moment as well, but they took risks based on what they believed to be true about God. So is there a situation in our lives right now, maybe it was that we were talking about earlier, what we're trusting and we're hoping and we're waiting in. Is there a situation in our life right now that we need to take a God-centered risk in? I don't know what that means for you. Is there a phone that needs to be picked up? Somebody we haven't talked to in a while? That we need to pick up the phone and we're unsure. It feels risky how that relationship or that call is going to go. But we know it is. Maybe that's it. Maybe there's a letter that needs to be written. Maybe a conversation with somebody that we don't necessarily, that we see a lot, but we need to kind of maybe get after something together. Um, I mean, I'm really good at procrastinating. I don't know about you. Um, but I have lots of things sometimes that I think God kind of prompts me on, and I'm like, let me pray about that, you know? Uh, because basically, it's going to be really hard, and I'm not really sure the outcome is going to be. Maybe there's something that God's been calling you into lately. I don't know if it's a particular, maybe a way to serve in the church. Maybe it's um, a particular person that you've been kind of thinking, gosh, I really got to spend some time with them and love them, and, but I know that's going to be some time and some energy to do that. Um, maybe... God's calling you to walk towards something. Maybe God's calling you to walk away from something. There's something in your life that you need to walk away from right now, that you need to take that risk and trust that God's going to meet whatever that is, that you're going to walk away from that. He's going to fill you back up. There's something right now that only is so big that only God can handle it. It's hard to believe sometimes when things just seem ordinary and things seem hard, that God is at work in the bigger spectrum you know, around us, even sometimes, often times, I would argue, when we don't see him working. And could we get to a point, kind of like Ruth, where we take a God-centered, God-believing risk and go back to that single line that she said when Naomi gave her the plan, and she says, I'll just do whatever you say. And so if God prompts you on something, that, that would be our reply, that we'll do whatever he says. God continually brings divine, 
creation-altering outcomes, even when it seems like he's not involved. God continually brings divine, creation-altering outcomes from situations where it seems like he's not involved. And I think we could probably go around the room and raise our hand or two. When it seems like God wasn't there, then all of a sudden, one day we turn around and he's front and center. And we can't, oof, gosh, I'm getting all teary. Can't even believe it. Another phrase that kind of stuck with me was that we'd have holy outcomes from beautiful obedience. And it's hard to wait, but I think what God asks for us in those times where we're trusting that he's working is that we just be obedient while he works, just, just trust him, and that there'd be a holy outcome from beautiful obedience. And we'll land here, and we'll wrap up here. So as we get to the end of chapter 4, We've been talking about Ruth. We've been talking about Boaz. And then we get, chapter four really ends with Naomi and, and, and it really swings back to her. And we talk about she is uh, cheering. She's celebrating her grandson. And if you're Naomi, I mean, put yourself in her shoes. God showed up. Everything she'd been praying for, even when she was hurt and she wanted to change her name because she was so mad, she wanted to be named bitter now because she was so angry. But I'm sure in there she was still praying, still looking to God. Now her family had been redeemed. She'd had a dream for Ruth that Ruth would find somebody and find a future, and Ruth had, and, and her land had been taken on, and Boaz did redeem his role. And so now she has a grandson. And everything that she had hoped for, I think, she was sitting there just, just being present and enjoying. And this isn't to discredit this, so please receive this the right way. But the amazing thing that I, that I was thinking of is she has no idea. She thinks this is it. And she has no clue that her little sliver of what she's seeing of her family isn't even close to what God's doing. God just delivered the grandpa of King David, continued the line of the tribe of Judah, which brings the Messiah. And gosh, what did I have for breakfast? I'm getting teary today. Um, and when the Messiah comes, everything changes. Creation, reconciled with creator. Like she has no idea, but she's so grateful there too. And it just reminds me that no matter what's going on, I hope this is an encouraging word for you this morning. No matter what's going on, whatever slice we see, there's a bigger thing going on. And it doesn't mean it's easy. Again, hear me. But I hope it brings you an encouragement this morning. So we're going to take communion together. And we do it every week. It's one of the things that elements are going to start getting passed out here. And just want to leave you with a couple of minutes and a couple of questions as we get a chance. I think this is one of the greatest gifts our church gives us as, as people call Life Community Church our home and come every week. As we get this moment just to pause. I mean... I don't know about you guys, but our weeks are pretty full in our house and it gets harder and harder to find space. So I think it's a great gift. So as you have a, a moment just to sit with God this morning, a couple of questions, just reflect on what we talked about. What is it right now that you're hoping, that you're trusting, that God is working, even if you can't see it? Who is it? What circumstance is it? And just encourage you right now as you get that time to pause, to sit, and ask God for really clear eyes, for beautiful obedience, while whatever this situation or thing is that's going on in your world unfolds. So I'm going to give you some time. Things are coming out, and I'll come back up in a minute, and we'll, uh, we'll take communion together.